you gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. What are you getting so crazy about? It's just music. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I talk to members of the Scottish band Franz Ferdinand. We're going to hear acoustic versions of their electro new wave tracks. And later on, Greg and I will review the new records from pop punk superstars Green Day and singer-songwriter St. Vincent. Support for Sound Opinions is provided by founding sponsor Alltech Lansing and their new Octave Air speaker system, a wireless 80-watt wall of sound for your iPod. More information at alltechlansing.com. Sound Opinions and Alltech Lansing are giving away a chance for you to be the critic this summer. It's an all-expense paid trip to Chicago to attend the Pitchfork Music Festival and meet Jim and Greg. Runners-up can win a premium audio system from Alltech Lansing. Enter to win at soundopinions.org. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Ready or not, here we come, getting down on the one which we believe Can I get it on my six foot? Good Yes, Greg, one nation under a groove. That is the vision that Live Nation, the country's largest concert promoter and ticket master, the country's monopolistic, many say, ticket broker, have for this country. One nation under the new Live Nation entertainment groove. We've talked about this several times. It is the biggest story in the history of live concerts in this country. Live Nation and Ticketmaster would like to merge, creating one giant entity from coast to coast that controls much of live music in this country. A couple of developments. The big news is that we are still waiting for the new Obama Justice Department to weigh in on whether this merger will be approved or not. The government has to approve it before it happens. There was an interesting article in the New York Times recently saying that the Justice Department under President Obama, the top antitrust officials are planning to, quote, restore a much more aggressive enforcement policy against corporations using their market dominance to elbow out competitors. Live Nation wasn't mentioned by name, this giant merger, but they're not going to roll over as the Clinton and Bush administrations did and allow giant companies to gobble up all the smaller ones until they're the only act in the business. Live Nation hasn't had a very good year so far in terms of putting on concerts. The business is down some 22% from where it was in the first quarter of last year. Nevertheless, Michael Rapino, the man who runs Live Nation, last seen sitting beside Irving Azoff, the man who runs Ticketmaster, as they tried to sell this merger on Capitol Hill, despite the business being down 22%, got a raise of $550,000 a year. (laughs) 
You know, I mean, it's like those bankers on Wall Street whose banks are going under and they're taking federal bailout money and yet they're getting these yeah. giant bonuses. Imagine if you had a good year. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> what You know, what? what's that about? But they're not upset. Rapino gave a quote saying, uh, it's in line with our plan. And despite challenging economic times, fans are buying concert tickets at a healthy pace. He's not worried because he has a plan. Yes, he does, Jim. And uh, it's the oldest gambit in known to mankind in terms of these mega events. Bring a lot of people into a big remote place and then sell them lots of stuff at inflated prices. That is exactly what Live Nation is planning on doing. First of all, they're going to have, quote unquote, higher margins on food and beverage. That means you're going to pay a lot more for a hot dog and a lot more for a beer when you attend Live Nation concerts. Secondly, they say they're going to focus on the most popular profitable merchandise. So in other words, they're going to be selling you t-shirts at inflated prices too. Yeah. This is the twin plan for Live Nation revenue increases. Higher beer and hot dog prices, higher merchandise prices. Um, you know, less people think we are just picking continually on these companies, Live Nation and Ticketmaster. I want to point out that the American Antitrust Institute has just issued a paper urging the Department of Justice to say no. Why should you, the consumer sitting at home listening to this, care about whether this merger goes through or not? Well, y- you should, <laughs> because when there's no competition, A, the company that runs everything can charge as much as it wants, and B, you, you don't have a choice. And that's what the American Antitrust Institute said, quote, this vertical integration would effectively frustrate any new entry into the business because as a practical matter, it would require firms seeking to compete seriously against Live Nation Entertainment to enter the industry on several levels at once. I mean, they'd have to be talent booker and they'd have to be concert promoter and they'd have to be ticket broker and nobody can do all those things. This company's going to corner everything. When the pimp's in the crib, ma. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot. When the pigs try to get at you. Park it like it's hot. Park it like it's hot. Park it like it's hot. And if a get an attitude. Pop it like it's hot. Pop it like it's hot. Pop it like it's hot. I got the rollie on my arm and I'm pouring Sean Don and I'm all the best because I got it going on. More bad news for the music industry. Uh, drop it like it's hot indeed. The web music services Lala and iMeme are not working out the way the music industry had planned. Warner Brothers is taking a $33 million write-off on those two companies, those two music services. They had hoped that with iMeme, the social networking site, and Lala, another website that offers free streaming of music, that they could make some inroads into the digital downloading domain dominated by peer-to-peer file sharing for every legal file that's sold on the internet these days. About 40 are traded online, far dwarfing the amount of revenue that the industry is getting from digital commerce. Now Warner Brothers is basically saying its investments in iMeme and Lala have not paid off. The only music service in the last five years that has shown any revenue pluses has been iTunes. And so far, their attempts to make other investments pay off are not working. Warner Brothers, with this $33 million write-off, is basically saying we have to start over once again. You're listening to Sound Opinions. That's a little bit of Franz Ferdinand from its third album, Tonight. Recall that uh, Franz Ferdinand in uh, 2004 had a big debut record with an anthemic single called Take Me Out. 
defined that new intersection of disco and rock. Uh, for a long time, those two impulses did not meet, but there was a whole wave of bands that came out in the early part of this decade, emphasizing that new intersection, and Franz Ferdinand was the very best at it. Two albums in 2004-2005 went away for a few years to sort of reinvent their sound with uh, Tonight. We're going to talk about that in a bit. We were fortunate to have at least half of the band in the studio recently. Singer Alex Capranos was joined by guitarist Nick McCarthy. Nick was uh, limping into the studio. He had injured his leg while on tour. A rare treat as well because the band performed uh, its music acoustically Usually you hear those electro-rock treatments in concert, but here they were stripped down with just a couple of guitars. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks very much. Cheers. Nice being. We uh, first talked to you in 2004, right? That's right, yeah. On the, the first tour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, America was new. It was scary. Uh, it was all like, what are we doing here? I can't even believe we're here. I know, I know. It's now it's the third album. It's like, oh, we're going to America again next week. But then again, it's a while since we've been touring America properly. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I think the last proper tour we did was Death Cab for Cutie back in 2006. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. You know, it's, it's still exciting. Mm-hmm. And there are a few places that we've been to that we've not been to before. You know, like... like Milwaukee last Milwaukee night. Milwaukee yeah, last night. That was, that was great. Like, like, fantastic. Oh, and you, and you guys hadn't been to Milwaukee? No, no, that yeah. was the first time I've been. We finally played uh, First Avenue in Minneapolis as well. Wait, a legendary club. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was yeah, an amazing concert. Yeah, yeah. Purple Rain, right? Yeah. Oh, you're thinking yeah. about that yeah. when you're on the stage? Yeah. You can't do anything but <laughs> think about that, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's amazing that the band's been together for, what, six, seven years now. You're on your third album. Tonight just came out this year. That's like Rolling Stones level longevity in the internet <laughs> era. I mean, you think about what that atmosphere was like when we were talking to you guys at Metro in 2004. You know, the new wave of new wave, and you're the leaders of the pack, and, you know, that was the big trend. And, you know, obviously that's come and gone, and you guys are still here. Do you think about those kind of things? So many bands have come and gone since then and been celebrated like you guys and aren't around anymore. I don't know. I mean, like it's it's we try not to think about trends and that sort of thing. Or if if we do think about trends, it's more to not be a part of them. Part of what makes you sound is listening to what's around about you and thinking, let's do something different from that. Was there difficulty? You know, take me out. That first single was was such a hit, and the first album did really well. Then you have to follow it up. And a lot of people seem to yawn almost at the second album. You could have it so much better. Was that disappointing? It's like people's attention spans now are five minutes long. Sure. I, I mean, I, I think as well when, when there was such massive exposure of that song as well. You know, like it's... I, I know when, when, when we came to, to write this this last album that we've done, we, we before we wrote it, we wanted it to disappear for a little bit. We just felt... Mm. God, we're everywhere. We, you know, we're sick of seeing us and reading about <laughs> us. You know, like, like let, let's let's t- take a step back a little bit from that. Um, but I don't know. Beyond that, I, I don't really think about it that much, to be yeah. honest. You know, um, not, none of us presumed that that first album or any of the songs in that first album were going to be any kind of success either. When we got the band together, we thought we would try and release a couple of seven inch singles ourselves maybe borrow some cash off people and then we got then Lawrence Bell at Domino Records which is a really great independent label in the UK said they'd put out an album and we we thought it would be 
I don't know. We we thought it'd be like a small indie thing, and, mm. and we we didn't know it was going to blow up like that. Well, before we move on, guys, let's hear a song. You both got guitars in your hand. Alex, Nick, what are we? Uh, what are you going to play for us? Um, I think we're going to start off with one of the songs on the uh, the last record. I think uh, of, of the songs on on the last record, uh, the song called "Know Your Girls," which seems to be uh, getting the most exposure. And the, the the way that song was was written, well, for us anyway, is, is quite interesting because. Often songs evolve, you know, like you, when you first write something, it isn't what you end up recording all the time. There's two songs on the album, one's called Know Your Girls, one's called Catherine Kiss Me. And Catherine Kiss Me was written first. They're both kind of about the same event, uh, kissing somebody for the first time. And Catherine Kiss Me is much more about the, the feelings of vulnerability that you have when you put yourself in an emotional situation like that. I took the lyrics and that we had this bass line that, that was kicking about that, that was this really kind of heavy dance floor bass line and, we, and I put that on top of the the lyrics and the melody of Catherine Kiss Me and, it, and as soon as we did that it changed it to a minor key and everything seemed to have a swagger to it and everything changed like the whole tone of the song the the tone of the lyrics and kind of like the tone of the speaker changed as soon as you changed the music mm. it's it's like you know when you when you soundtrack a film it's amazing how you can just just a scene completely changes its meaning if you change the mood of the music behind it and it re- really happened with the lyrics and i kind of went with it and immediately the the vulnerability of the original was lost and it kind of developed a swagger to it which <laughs> was which was never intended in the first place and so to to me like the the two songs Catherine Kiss Me is kind of like re- recalling the same event as you would uh, if you're sitting by yourself and remembering mm-hmm. it honestly, whereas Know You Girls is more kind of how you tell a story to your pals in the pub. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, an, it's an anecdote and you exaggerate it and you become the hero. And uh, <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you mention the bass because when I reviewed the album and actually when we talked about it on the show, um, I mean, it, to me, it strikes me as Bootsy Collins playing with New Order. <laughs> All right. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a nice I was like, combo. wow, this is an album that is about the bass. We, we definitely wanted to give it a different flavor from the previous albums and, and one of the way we did, you know, every record you want to get a kind of sound, you know, like I love the idea of, of records having a sound, you know, you stick on a Ramones album and you hear three seconds of it and you know it's the Ramones, you know, you mm-hmm. stick on you, you stick on Roxy Music and you know immediately it's Roxy Music because of the sound and I think that's something we get kind of obsessed with as well and all the different elements and for us it was the bass guitar on this record, like giving the bass, the, the kind of lead melodies that normally a, a guitar or a keyboard would take and... But here we are with two acoustic guitars. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob Hardy is uh, sleeping in. Yeah, he, I reckon he is. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, every song of ours uh, is like a song to sing along to as well, you know, and, and, and you can play it on acoustic guitars. I think that's Is that quite how they all start? Most Not of them every do time, start that sort of way. Yeah. I mean, you, you, it, it doesn't matter how you start the song. I think every if a song is strong, you can reduce it to something that can be played on an acoustic guitar. Like, the best of any songs can be reduced to that kind of level. That's cool. So we're going to get living proof right here, okay. right All now. Right. Okay, so th- th- this one's this one's Castle on Christmas. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Catherine, kiss me. Slippy little lips will split me. Split me where your eye won't hit me. Yes, I love you. I mean that. I'd love to get to know you. Sometimes I say the stupid things that I think I mean I Sometimes I think the stupidest things Uh Do you ever wonder 
how the boy feels Catherine kiss me Flick your cigarette then kiss me Flick your eyes and mine so briefly Your leather jacket lies in sticky pools of cider blackberry You glance a ricochet from every alpha male behind me eyes Like marbles on a washing machine And do you ever wonder How the boy feels Catherine kiss me In the alleyway by Jakey's Jacking in the sodium light Yes, I love you I mean I I mean I need to love And though your opened eyes Step out upon The overflowing pipes above me Tonight I don't mind Because I never wondered How the girl feels Beautiful stuff. Catherine Kiss Me from uh, Franz Ferdinand, Alex Capranos, and Nick McCarthy. That is a song that ends the record. We'd talked earlier about the fact that the rhythm section, a big part of this record, and then you have this beautiful song at the end. It didn't really fit with uh, everything else on the record, but there it is. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of we placed it there deliberately as well. We we when we put the order of the record together, Paul started talking about this kind of nighttime theme. That was the the vibe that he got it from Paul the drummer, and uh, we sort of went with that idea and wanted to give it the structure of a night out. You know, sort of starting off with songs like Ulysses and then Bite Hard, things that 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 give you a sense of anticipation of a night ahead, and then going through you know the climax of the night, and then Catherine Kiss Me at the end, which was supposed to have the feeling that you'd have it sort of alone in a room. So that's that's the, the five a.m. chill out. Yeah, song, that, exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah, that, that was that <laughs> the, was the, the booze idea. is starting to wear off. And yeah, well, that's like, it. You know, <laughs> yeah, you've got a bit of the shakes and dawns coming through the curtain. Yeah. After a short break on sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we'll be back to continue our conversation with Alex Capranos and Nick McCarthy from Franz Ferdinand. And later on, Greg and I will review the highly anticipated new album from Green Day. Sometimes I say the stupid things I think, I mean I sometimes think the stupidest things. Do you ever wonder How the boy feels Catherine, kiss me Flick your cigarette, then kiss me Flick your eyes and mine so briefly 
Your leather jacket lies in sticky pools of cider blackberry. You glance a ricochet from every alpha male behind me, eyes like marbles on a washing machine. Back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Greg Cott here with Jim DeRogatis. You've been listening to our conversation with Alex Capranos and Nick McCarthy from the Scottish band Franz Ferdinand. Since breaking onto the scene in 2004 with that self-titled debut album, they've been known for a couple of things. You know, clever lyrics, strong grooves, and also, I think, a sense of visual style. They were just a cut above some other bands that looked like they rolled out of bed and walked on stage. And I asked Alex Capranos about how they developed that sense of style. It, it wasn't something that we talked about, but I think it was something we were all aware of. Um, and, and for us, the visual side has always been important, whether it's the, the, the videos or the artwork, and I, I guess the way that you dress is part of that as well. But I think it more comes from the way that you are with your friends and you, you, the way you kind of develop a sort of way of dressing. If, because what, what, what bands are, the best groups are essentially little gangs. And you can't help it with gangs, a dress code develops. And it's usually an unwritten dress code. Gangs don't sit down around a table and kind of go, okay, our gang is going to wear a leather jacket and a bandana. <laughs> and no, it's just something that evolves. Like one guy goes, well, that's cool. I'm going to get something like that, you know. And th- th- that definitely happened with us. We were hanging out in Glasgow and it's something that just evolved. And, you know, we, yeah, we, 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 we're pals. We're going to dress in a similar sort of way. Mm-hmm. This this album pushed you in some really interesting directions, though. I mean, the first two records are sort of two peas in a pod in, in, in some ways. And then here it seemed like you, you took some time off and you came back and made a statement to sort of differentiate yourself maybe a little bit from those two records. I'm thinking about that seven-minute track, Lucid, Lucid Dreams, Dreams yeah. uh, which is, it sounds like an acid house track that could have been made in Chicago in the late 80s or something like that. Yeah, we, we definitely wanted to go somewhat different with some of those songs. Dreams when that started off was really, really different, and we did experiment quite a lot. And I think that it was very different from the, the the first couple of records. But I think people want to be surprised when they when they hear. And I know I want to be surprised by the bands that I like. But at the same time, you know, you, you still got to be proud of your own identity, or and, and not try and completely reinvent yourself. And I, th- I think uh, to try and pretend that you're a different band is is insincere. Like acoustic guitars. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but it's still us, you know what I mean? It's still the end of the record, yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, does that happen? Do, do you guys play the material a lot and let it evolve? I mean, a, a big part of your mythology has become the chateau, right? In Glasgow, it was just a rehearsal space. Yeah, that's right. It, it was. It was a, a kind of rundown building that we took over. Then we used to throw parties in there, but the, the police kind of, kind of put an end to that after a while. Uh, and then we found another place, which was an old jail. But... um. 
Nick found this other building this time, this this uh, old town hall. Yeah, it's a beautiful old town hall. It even had heating and a roof. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just be- a beautiful old uh, building that's just kind of dilapidated. It had been a drug know. rehab center for a while. At the front it? part of the building, wow. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you guys would, would gather there and would you just keep playing something like Lucid Dreams until it went to three, four incarnations, until mm. it became what? There was a bit of that, yeah. You know, and the, the one, one, one thing we really wanted to get into with, it, with this, making this record was playing live as a band, but... Um, I remember reading about the way that James Brown used to make records. He used to like, so like have the band do this really kind of long, I, know, I guess like a jam, but not 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 a jam where you're sort of just purely improvising, but where you're playing the same parts and it's just really locking in. And I love that idea of like the band just kind of like mesmerizing themselves, like hypnotizing themselves with the music until you've just got this this great feel to it, and then cutting out the bit from the the middle where everybody's really really together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. Uh, Teo Machero too with the Miles Davis records that's uh, you know he'd put that band in the studio and they would play and play and play and then at the end it was this you know incredible editing job of just right, taking okay. these live performances yeah, in real time but then creating something sort of in post-production out of it I, I think it's a really creative side of the, of the studio as well I, I remember, remember the first time I was really aware of it was um I don't know, sometime in the mid-90s, I used, I used to deliver curries, and a friend of mine gave me a, a tape of a bootleg of Smile, and it was the editing that I really loved. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd have these great jumps from one session to an, another, and it would be the same song, but recorded with a completely different set of musicians, but particularly a different room, and that's something that fascinated me at the time. It's something we used a lot in, in this building that Nick was talking about. We'd, we'd record the song in a small room with a carpet and wood paneling on the walls, and then we'd go and record it in the big massive hall, and we'd cut between the two. So you can hear it in something like Know You Girls where the middle eight comes in and you have this huge reverberance of feel and it's, it's almost like, you're, it's, it's like a cinematic cut. You know, you're, you're changing location in your ears immediately and it's, mm-hmm. wow. yeah, it's, it's just a bit of fun. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. Greg Cott is my partner, and we are here with Franz Ferdinand, or at least half the band, Alex Capranos and Nick McCarthy. Alex, Nick, will you guys uh, give us another song? Uh, we're going to play a, a version of Dance of Pleasure, which is on the, 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 the first album. And, and again, similar to Catherine Kiss Me, this is a very different version of it and kind of how the song started off as well. Like The, the one on the album's really kind of upbeat and sort of taut, whereas this one's much more... Well, maudlin, I guess, really, isn't it? So, (laughs) (laughs) here we go. You are the latest contender You are the villain who sends a Line of dark, fantastic I know that you will surrender I know that you will surrender I want this fantastic passion I'll have fantastic passion You feel my lips and dress your eyes Undress your eyes Undress your eyes 
poison darts of pleasure die. And so you die. You are the latest offender. You are the devil who sends her. You are the villain who sent her. Line of dark, fantastic passion. I know that you will surrender. Well, I know that you will surrender. I want this fantastic passion. I want fantastic passion. Feel my lips undress your eyes. Undress your eyes. Undress your eyes. The skin can't feel my lips. Tense anticipation on it. This one is an easy one. You feel the word and melt upon it. Words of love and words so leisured. Words a poison darts of pleasure die. And so you die. That's Franz Ferdinand here on Sound Opinions, Darts of Pleasure, on uh, a very different version of that song from the first album, Franz Ferdinand. Okay, Alex, we got to talk about food. All right, okay. <laughs> in one of the things that you, that you did in between the second album and the third album, when the band kind of took some time, was this fantastic book, Sound Bites, Eating on Tour with Franz Ferdinand. So it was you crossing America, I guess, on that first trip in 2004? It was more kind of like when we were touring the, the second album. Uh, it's, it started off... One of the girls uh, was was an editor at the Guardian, a newspaper in in the UK. Uh, she'd been reading a, a diary, a blog that I was keeping online, and I'd mentioned some food that I'd eaten in Japan. And she said, "Oh, you know, it would be amazing for you to write about the food that you eat on tour." Yeah, well, it wasn't my idea at all; it was her idea. And if, at mm. first, I thought, oh, "I can't write about that." You know, I'm I'm not a food critic, and <laughs> and uh, I'm just a guy in a band. And then I thought, "Oh no, that's that's actually maybe a good reason why I should do it because <laughs> yeah. because I am just a guy in a band. You know, I don't have the kind of the vocabulary and the baggage of of a food critic. And it it seemed like a good way of keeping a well, keeping a diary or or keeping some kind of record of all the places that we were. Well, because it's it's, it's so much more than I ate at this interesting place and that interesting place. I mean, when you're writing about something like Polynesian room in Minneapolis, right, right. Yeah. and this weird little culture. People who don't know, it's this odd it's piano amazing, bar right? yeah, with yeah. this like eighty-five-year-old blue-haired woman <laughs> who is singing weird. I mean, she might cover Franz Ferdinand, <laughs> but she's singing yeah, it at the good, piano. Yeah. It's right. bizarre, yeah. and and it was it was a really kind of cool like like if Jack Kerouac's On the Road had been written not about America but about some place where he was just plopped down and he'd never been and he had no idea where he was. For me, that was the that that was what was appealing about it because you do come across these places and places like Nye's or uh, the Peter Pan Donut Shop in in Brooklyn. Those were the places for me which 
which really brought through the flavor of the city. So like, mm -hmm. like sitting there in New York and eating donuts, surrounded by cops eating donuts with coffee and thinking to myself, are they really doing this? This is, this is too much. I mean, my God, I mean, this, it's like every cliche coming together, but it's true. It, yeah, is, yeah. it, it is one of the hidden difficulties of touring, isn't it? Is it not to find decent food? Yeah, I mean, most of the time you don't really care. You, you've got other things on your mind and some, some sure. things, half the time you don't really care. Well, Paul's about on a burger quest just now. Yeah, isn't it? yeah oh, that, that's so, amazing. That's kind of easier yeah in the States. <laughs> all right so one place if you had to okay today you could pick one of those restaurants to go to you know i i think for, for me it, it wouldn't be a restaurant it would just be to go to athens or piraeus and and have a souvlaki on the street mm -hmm. in athens mm -hmm. partly because i used to go my, my father's greek and i used to go there all the time when i was a kid and uh, uh it brings back so many I mean, of, of course I, I think that's like the best food isn't it the smell of the best yeah, food yeah it's evocative. It brings back the best memories of your lives, the people that you were with. And for me, it is, is my family when I was a kid. And my, my mouth is drooling right now. I'm really hungry now. I can taste in my mouth. Yeah. Are you going to do one more song for Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think we're going to play um, a song off the second record called Walk Away. Just put my foot down. <laughs> I swap my innocence for pride. Crushed the end of the my stride Said I'm strong, now I know I'm a lever I love the sound of you walking away You walking away Mascara bleeds a blackened tear Oh, here But I'm not cold No, I'm not cold I'm not as cold as you are I love the sound of you walking away, you walking away. I love that sound of you walking away, walking away. Hey, hey. Why don't you walk away? Won't you walk away? Won't you walk away? No buildings will fall down. To walk away, no quake will split the ground. To walk away, the sun won't swallow the sky. The statues will not cry. Won't you walk away? Won't you walk away? Won't you walk away? Won't you walk away? Be strong and stay an unbeliever And love the sound of you walking away You walking away Mascara bleeds into my eye Why I? No, I'm not cold No, I'm not cold As you walk away, as you walk away, 
my headstone crumbles down. Walk away, the Hollywood winds are howl. As you walk away, the Kremlin's falling. Radio four is static. As you walk away, as you walk away, as you walk away, as you walk away. Love that song, Walk Away, from the second Franz Ferdinand record, Alex Capranos, Nick McCarthy on guitars. Uh, that sounded beautiful, gentlemen. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Alex and Nick, for coming by Sound Opinions. Thanks very much. It's been, it's been, been fun. Yeah, thanks. comment on our conversation with Franz Ferdinand or to share any of your critical opinions, call our hotline 888-859-1800 or send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org. We're going to be back in a minute at Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media to review new albums from Green Day and St. Vincent. Support for Sound Opinions is provided by founding sponsor Alltech Lansing and their new Octave Air speaker system, a wireless 80-watt wall of sound for your iPod. More information at alltechlansing.com. Be a critic like Jim and Greg. Win an all-expense paid trip to Chicago to attend the Pitchfork Music Festival, courtesy of Alltech Lansing and Sound Opinions. Runners-up will win a premium Alltech Lansing audio system. Enter at soundopinions.org. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is a track from the new Green Day album. It's called 21st Century Breakdown. The song is called Know Your Enemy. The trio out of Berkeley, California, emerged out of that pop-punk scene 
that was dominating that area in the late 80s, early 90s, had a huge hit in 1994 with the album Dookie, and have undergone a tremendous transformation. There's no other way to describe it since then. In 2004, they came out with a politically charged album called American Idiot that reinvented the band in a lot of ways. Here's a band that had never really shown any evidence of a political consciousness on its earlier records. They were basically talking about this slacker generation of teens growing up kind of bored in the suburbs, smoking weed, and and basically turning their back on what the grown-ups were doing. American Idiot evinced a social attitude that had not been previously heard on their records and won them a lot of acclaim and and reinvented the band in many ways. Now the follow-up, 21st Century Breakdown, a rock opera, no less. 18 songs linked thematically over 70 minutes. Jim and I are going to review it in a second, but let's hear a track from it first that I think kind of represents the twin poles of the record. You've got the acoustic, more sensitive side, you've got the more hard-rocking side, and they come together in this song. Before the Lobotomy, from Green Day on Sound Opinions. Hearts washed in misery, drenched in gasoline, laughter, there is no more laughter. Songs of yesterday now live in the underground. Day with Before the Lobotomy from their new album, 21st Century Breakdown. 
Hard Act to Follow, Greg, American Idiot, in 2004, sold more than 10 million copies worldwide. It's going to go down as one of the last blockbusters in the era of big CD sales. Green Day, I think, was kind of hamstrung. They didn't know which way to go. They started working with Sound Opinion's friend, Butch Vig. He's been on our show. He's worked with Nirvana, The Smashing Pumpkins, his own band Garbage. And they spent a year... And then another year, and then two more years. More than four years in the making, this 18-song rock opera. We got two characters. We got Gloria, we got Christian. They're kids who are dealing with all these confusing uh, problems of, of the new millennium here. You know, we're in two wars, we have economic collapse, we have all the mess that President Bush left us, and the punk underground is dying on top of it all. The story, as far as these rock operas go, isn't always that essential. You know, I mean, what is Quadrophenia about? I still can't figure it out. That's obviously a role model, the Who and the rock operas that Townsend did for Green Day. And I don't care so much about the lyrics. A lot of it is fun. Billy Joe Armstrong, the band leader, has a real chip on his shoulder about consistently being told by his baby boom parents' generation that everything was better in the 60s. I mean, at one point he says, we are the desperate in decline raised by the bastards of 1969. And and I applaud that. My generation is a zero. I'll <laughs> never make it as a working class hero. I never get tired of hearing that message. We all hate having grown up with this notion that we're never going to have a Woodstock in, in our lifetimes. Nothing will ever be as good as the Beatles. Green Day's railing against that. They're not railing quite as effectively. There's a lot of classic rock bombast here. They're verging into queen territory sometimes. They're going off on Guns N' Roses with the orchestra. It's weird to say that because most of the songs are still three and four minutes long, but I just don't need a queen crescendo in the middle of my Green Day song. (laughs) Fully nine of these songs are among the very best Green Day has ever given us, and the nine others are pretty lame. So it breaks my heart to say it, but buy it, burn it, trash it. This is just a burn it record. I disagree with you. I don't think there are nine lame songs on this record. I think the softer songs balance the harder edge songs. I love the idea that there can be a ballad like Last Night on Earth on this record, which reminds me of the Beatles. As you said, there are a lot of 60s references. For a guy who hates the 60s so much, he's using a lot of 60s references in this music. I text the postcards and see. Followed up by a track like East Jesus Nowhere. You get that softer side and then you get the stomper right in your face afterward. It's a record that demands to be listened to in sequence, not on your iPod shuffle. And I say that about very few albums these days because most albums, frankly, aren't sequenced that way. Most albums aren't made that way. Green Day's ambitions, I think, back up the fact that this is an album and that you need these songs to balance what's going on in this record. I think the the hard rock stuff is, is as good as anything they've done. I think Trey Cool is one of the very best drummers on the planet. He makes everything sound great. And I don't think the indulgence and bombast that you're talking about, I don't really hear it. I think they rein it in pretty tightly. You don't hear the grand piano? I hear it, but I, it's only a moment. And it's, the orchestra? It, I, I hear that, too. There's some timpani on it, and I the think timpani? it's used very effectively. <laughs> you're making it sound like this bloated eight- or nine-minute, you know, November rain, Guns N' Roses-type mess. You got I love Green Day. I, I said American Idiot was one of the best albums of 2004. I think it was in my top three. I love this band, and I love half of this record, but I don't know what, you know, and Butch let them play too long in the studio. I think, I think you need to listen to this album more because I think it's one of those albums that does reward repeated listens. It, it is one of those albums that is going to manifest itself over time. There's almost too much 
to hear on the first couple of listens. But I think it works as a whole. I think it's the best thing they've ever done. I think it's a buy it album all the way. You're a listening to a song called Actor Out of Work by one St. Vincent, better known as Annie Clark. Her new album is called Actor. Greg, you've mentioned her before. You came back from South by Southwest very excited about this 27-year-old Texan. She has been active in the indie rock underground for some time. She was a member of Polyphonic Spree, those great uh, psychedelic gospel choir lunatics from Texas. She was one of the 30 (laughs) people on stage in a white robe. She also toured with Sufjan Stevens. With this record, her second solo album, she has said she set out to create, quote, a technicolor animatronic ride. What did she mean? The seed of every song, she said, was partly envisioned as a film score. She has big ambitions. She has obviously got some some fealty to the Feist and Tori Amos singer-songwriter school. Does she match that? Is she doing something different? We'll give our opinions in a second. This is a song by St. Vincent, a.k.a. Annie Clark, from Actor on Sound Opinions. It's called The Bed. That's The Bed from St. Vincent's second solo record, Actor. Uh, St. Vincent is otherwise known as Annie Clark, as Jim mentioned earlier. 
I think a big step up from that 2007 debut, Marry Me. A fine record in its own right, but I think Actor just blows it away. And I think why is those arrangements that you were talking about, those technicolor cinematic arrangements are fully realized. Clark writes, produces, arranges, plays most of the instruments herself, adds drums, strings, horns, fully orchestrated record, very pretty voice, some voluptuous arrangements. You almost think, wow, this is kind of gauzy and dreamy, and then she sticks you with that Mm -hmm. noise guitar. (laughs) And some lyrics, like in that song, The Bed, she's talking about hiding under the bed with a Smith & Wesson. Daddy's Smith & Wesson. (laughs) We're sleeping underneath the bed to scare the monsters out with our Daddy's Smith & Wesson. I love that. Uh, I think there's surprises all over the record just like that. The heaviness of the percussion, too, impresses me. For all of the the dreaminess that I mentioned earlier in these arrangements, there there is a definite bottom here. There's that heavy guitar, and there's also these lyrics that cut two ways. They sound really pretty on the surface, but underneath there's some really black stuff going on. It's an album about deception in a lot of ways, how people deceive themselves, how they deceive each other, and how they work through these issues. I think on a multi-tiered level, this is one of the best records of the year. It's a buy it all the way as far as I'm concerned. Unlike Green Day, I am with you 100% on St. Vincent's Actor. This is a buy it record. You know, you look at Annie Clark and she looks like an animated Disney heroine, you know, (laughs) kind of sprung to life as if she just stepped out of the cartoon, you know. But the fact that she has these dark undercurrents, I I just love that. Uh You know, Tori Amos had that too. I think St. Vincent takes it to the next level. It's more tuneful. It's more ambitious. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek at times. Every time you think, we're going to drift off into fairyland here, you know, (laughs) she hits you with something like that Smith & Wesson. Absolutely a wonderful record. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, pleased to have Nelson George, one of the great writers of our time in the studio, talking about his new work and about the history of R&B and hip-hop. As always, Greg, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions was produced by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. Mary Gaffney recorded our session with Franz Ferdinand. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, a guy we take on a Technicolor animatronic ride every week, is Tori Southside Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Jonathan calling from Chicago. And I want to thank you for your review of Bob Dylan's new album, Together Through Life. While I agree with Greg that this album is definitely not top-tier Dylan, I do have to disagree with his statement that Dylan has made his music more uh, listenable or intimate in the studio. I think actually that the opposite is true. Bob Dylan does have a wreck of a voice, as Greg said, but he often sings about wrecks. And his music is listenable and pulls you in the most when in the studio he really captures that wrecked voice and even exploits it. And I think this is certainly the case in his newest album, in the chorus of Shake Shake Mama, for example. He really lets the bottom drop out of his voice 
for a almost comical and probably somewhat deliberately so bullfrog like effect. Shake, shake, mama, like a ship going out to sea. Shake, shake, mama, like a ship going out to sea. You took all my money and you give it to Richard Lee. This is one reason why in a world of sweet syrup pop, Dylan's voice is unique and very valuable. I want to thank you guys for a great show. Listen to you every Saturday morning. And um, you really informed uh, my enjoyment of music. And uh, take care. Down by the river, Judd Simpson walking around. Down by the river, Judd Simpson walking around. Nothing shocks me more than that old cloud. Hey guys, this is Heather from Los Angeles. I just was listening to the uh, live album podcast and I was so happy to hear that you included Ani DeFranco. Um, she's been one of my favorites for years and I completely agree that the Living in Clip album is absolutely the apex of her career. I just expected it to be a bunch of live albums that I didn't care that much about and was beside myself to hear that you included Ani. Uh, keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. The wall beside my head And I try to draw the line But it ends up running down the middle of me Most of the time And boys get locked up in some prison Girls get locked up in some house It don't matter if it's a warden Or a lover or a spouse You just can't talk to them No, you just can't reason You just can't leave And you just can't please Hey, Jim and Greg This is Matt from Irvine, California just got done listening to your show on the best live albums of all time. One of your callers uh, reviewing the Dylan album mentioned the band, but I'm wondering how you could make it through the entire show without saying anything about the last waltz. Uh, the band playing with, uh, with Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, Neil Diamond, Emmy Lou Harris, Eric Clapton, uh, Ronnie Wood, Ronnie Hawkins, Muddy Waters, Staples, and on my personal favorite track, Dan Morrison performing uh, this fantastic version of Caravan. Turn up your radio. Uh, really just this epic concert, a sort of farewell to classic rock, made into one of the best concert films of all time by Scorsese, capturing that sense really of a performance that's kind of already nostalgic, already a thing of the past as soon as it's happened an essential music moment in music history and a phenomenal album. Uh, really just inexcusable to leave this album off your list. Uh, thanks. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, one 888 859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.